This is Zion Hebraic Congregation with me, Luke Tanner. This week's Shabbat message is by my dad, Warren Tanner, entitled God and Man Working Together in Parallel. You can find all of our archived Shabbat messages at our website, zionhebraiccongregation.com, and wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also subscribe to my dad's weekly essays that he writes if you put your email in the little email subscribe box. And as always, our theme music is by my buddy Evan Shaw. You can find him at evanshawmusic.com. Enjoy. Hey, mighty warriors arise, yeah. Freedom does All right, good to see everybody today. Glad you can make it. I'm trying to get situated here. Hold on. All right, so if you want, you uh, good to see everybody. Glad you're here. I'm trying to get my head together. All right, you can turn if you'd like, and we'll, we'll get to it eventually, to Joshua chapter 1. So finally made it out of Revelation after being in there, just repeating it four times. Just It was, it was amazing, actually, uh, especially to read Revelation now in the light of where we are in our society, in the world. I mean, it's like you're watching this whole revelation, pre-revelation scenario unfold right before our eyes. It's just really been amazing. And uh, if you read my one blog about how I think, you know, we're, we're getting somewhat set up for the mark of the beast and to receive the, the mark of the beast and, and all of that by, um, you know, because I've always wondered how the heck is everybody going to so easily succumb to taking the mark of the beast and doing what they're told and can't buy or sell? You know, and then it's like, okay, everybody wear a face mask. Oh, okay, we'll wear a face mask everywhere. Oh, by the way, you cannot buy now if you don't wear a mask. Oh, okay, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yes, we'll do that. Yeah, or, yeah, or, so, I mean, it's like we're having a dry run. I I had mentioned that that thing that um, came out six months before COVID really kind of hit that was done by the uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, uh, uh, John Hopkins, and the Ford Foundation, where, where they did this mock, uh, they got together and they had the meeting and, and, and they did like a mock-up of, of uh, like a little skit of what will happen. How do we handle a, an outbreak of, of a bad disease? And so, so they played us and I'm, I just watched it the other day, not too long ago, again, I had heard it. And it's like, you gotta be, I'm, I'm looking at the thing, I'm thinking, wait a minute, is that real footage or not? Because it's a swine, it's the pigs get infected, it's over in China, and it happened, I forget how it happened, and now it's starting to spread worldwide, and how, you know, and it's like, wow, somebody knew something ahead of time, you know? So, anyway, so reading Revelation through all that, this is again, I'm getting way off topic here, was, I found very fascinating. Now, okay, so, as usual, I have a few different things running through my head, and I always try to figure out what to do. I'm going to try to put them all in today. So grab a hold of your seats. 
First off, I want to read something that I just read in the paper that I get. I don't know how to sound, say it, Epic Times, Epoch Times, Epoch Times. It's just a wonderful, wonderful newspaper. Actually, a lady called me to see how I liked the thing and everything from the Epoch Times. And she said it even a different way. And I said, how, how did, could you tell me how to say the name of this thing? She said, you know, honestly, I don't really know either, you know? So, well, it's Epoch, yeah, anyway, anyway. I still don't really know what to do. But it, they had this article, and it had to do with, and I don't normally do this for you folks, I don't preach from the newspaper normally, um, but it had this article on if, 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 the, if Biden gets elected and the Democrats get in, what it's gonna mean nationwide for abortion. And it's just gonna be the wide open door that they're gonna have to just take pretty much all, this is their desire, all limitations off of abortion. So. In the paper, they had the, I'm just going to read this a little bit. I took a picture of it. Democrat-controlled states. Recently enacted laws in Democrat-controlled states also illustrate the all-encompassing right to abortion Democrats seek. New York's law states, quote, every individual who becomes pregnant has the fundamental right to choose to carry the pregnancy to term, to give birth to a child, or to have an abortion, end quote. The right is absolute, quote, 24 weeks from the commencement of pregnancy, or there is an absence of fetal viability, or the abortion is necessary to protect the patient's life or health, end quote. That means no limitations prior to viability and, the, and, uh, and only the hollow health restriction thereafter. Basically, it's just opening the door wide open. All right. Then, some of you folks might find this interesting, Vermont, they go on to say, I didn't plan this. <laughs> Vermont even went further, creating, quote, fundamental right to an abortion, end quote, without including health modifiers for late-term terminations, making it clear that unborn life has all the inherent value of pond scum, the statute says, so this is what the Vermont statute says, quote, all fertilized egg, embryo, or fetus shall not have independent rights under Vermont law, end quote. That clause reduces embryos and fetuses into mere things, meaning a viable baby being carried by a healthy mother could be aborted legally at eight and a half months, or abortion could be delayed to permit fetal, oh gosh, organ Harvesting. I, I, I read every time I've read that I break up at this. Or the abortion could be delayed to permit fetal organ harvesting. Is this what the heck our country's coming to? Yes. And 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 we're still wanting to think that God is blessing America and and we're American. God's just gonna wink his eye, nod, nod, wink, wink, nod, nod, you're America. Oh, you guys are good to go. We are in so much danger from God Almighty, we don't even realize it. You can't go just killing people willy-nilly and God doesn't take notice of it. It's his creation. Anyway, enough of that. All right. So that's point one. All right. So then, let's see. Uh, I, I, I didn't know what. So we're going to be in Joshua, the first four chapters. I initially wanted to preach on chapter two, but then I ended up writing my blog on it. So then I thought, crap, you know, 
what do I do now? So I think I'm going to, I want to instill, I'm going to read the blog. Not all, I'm not going to read all the verses, but, and you don't have, if you want to go to it on your phone, great. I'm just going to read it to you because it fits with the theme of where I want to go. And, and the theme is um, God and man working together in parallel. God and man working in parallel together. All right, now, I just also read this quote, and I thought it fit very well. Uh, it, it was uh, in, in the same paper. Lots of times, it was in the email version. Lots of times, they'll put a quote by some notable person. And so I thought it fit very well with the narrative of Rahab the harlot, because as I say in my blog, it seems like some Christians just stumble over the fact that Rahab's a harlot. And, uh, and she lies and she, you know, deceives and, you know, oh, no, that's, you know. So I, I, I this quote, I thought it, it made me laugh and smile because it's so me and it so fits the story. And it might be you. So this lady, uh, Grace Hopper, H-O-P-P-E-R, she, she was, oh, I was going to read what it was, doesn't matter. But she's an important person having to do with something. Anyway, she said. If it's a, this is what the quote said. I said, thank you. If it's, if it's good, I'm sorry. If it's a good idea, go ahead and do it. It's much easier to apologize than it is to get permission. Isn't that great? Yeah, love that if it's a good idea, go ahead and do it. It's much easier to apologize than it is to get permission. That wasn't a dog barking. We have dogs, but that, that was somebody else. Golly. Ugh. So it's much easier to apologize than it is to get permission. And the reason I like this, and the reason she did it, is because that was distinctive of her life and her career. And basically it is, she's saying in a nutshell, weigh all the consequences, weigh the idea. If it's a good idea, sometimes go ahead and do it. And so I got thinking over my work history. And if you have a good boss that's, that's, that's secure as, as, as in his leadership as a boss, then go ahead and go for it. I have taken the initiative on so many things on my jobs that I have had to where the good bosses just thank you and you make these humongous changes that, that produce benefit for the company. And so anyway, Rahab had a good idea and she took the initiative. And I'm glad she did because Rahab might have been spending her life not apologizing for taking the initiative, but apologizing for not taking the initiative. Sometimes we're so afraid at what will happen if we take an act of faith in relation to what God wants us to do in alignment with his word. We don't do it. And I'm here to say, yeah, you might have some regrets if you decide to do something. But we've all lived with regrets because we did not take an action or a step we should have. And thankfully, Rahab took the step that she did. Or why? We would not be sitting here today having a Savior who saved us from our sins. Right? Right? I mean, we, we, Rahab, we needed her. All right, so I'm going to read you my blog. I highlighted certain things through the whole chapter to, to highlight where I was wanting to go. So these are the words I highlighted. So Joshua sent the spies to spy secretly. They went to a harlot's house, Rahab. They lodged there. 
So the, she hid them. She lied. I don't know where they are and I don't know where they went. So she takes them, hides them upstairs, and, and, and so they stay there. And, and the reason she's taking all this action is because, and it's interesting, in, in the narrative in chapter 2, and I never really noticed it before, all the, the words for Lord are cap. So in the narrative involving her, there's this awareness of Yehovah. Jehovah, Yehovah, this God of the Israelites. So over and over and over, uh, she says, Our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For Yehovah, your God, he is God in heaven above and heaven and earth. So Yehovah, Yehovah, Yehovah. So I highlight that because it seems evident she knows this name of their God. yod heh vav -Hey. Don't get hung up on the, uh, on the pronunciation. And she knows, hey, wow, this God is like no other God we've encountered before. And I kind of think I was already working in her heart to respond as she did when the spies got there. All right, so let me read this to you. Try to, you know, follow along if you can. I put this whole chapter in because it's just too good. I love this chapter. It has everything for a good spy thriller. Over the years, I've truly been amazed how Rahab gets pulled apart, dissected, and reformulated. For some reasons, for some reason, Christians get a little uncomfortable with the likes of Rahab, a harlot, who does the only noble thing she can to save the spies, lie. I, for one, have never had a problem with Rahab. She had learned to do what was necessary to survive in life. And life isn't always pretty sanitized, normalized. So if you're one of those that stumble over Rahab and what she did, let me ask you then, what would you have done if the two spies came knocking at your door? Let me try to put a little meat on the bones of this story before you answer that question. You're living in Jericho. You've already heard a lot of frightening things about some God known as Yehovah, the Lord God of these crazy people wiping out everybody in their path and the word is out that they are headed your way plus your heart in a spiritual sort of way seems to be changing inside of you you're starting to realize your own sinful condition in a very real and tangible way you start to conclude that this Yehovah God doesn't seem to tolerate a whole lot of wickedness and immorality the blood that has already been spilled on the ground testifies to that fact don't answer yet as to what you would have done. Let's suppose you're hiding Jews and the Gestapo knocks on your door and asks if you're hiding Jews. Do you say yes and hand them over? Then why, for the love of God, are you hiding them in the first place? And aren't you glad Corey Ten Boom and her family had a basic understanding akin to that of Rahab? Now, what would you have done if the two spies came knocking at your door? Really, ask yourself that question. What would I do in answer to my question, you ask? I can tell you what I'd do. God being my helper, I'd lie and hide. No problem. But that's just me. While we're thinking about Rahab, have you ever thought about the spies in all of this? Well, they are spies. Being a spy by its very nature is to live a lie. And then to make their actions worse, these two spies use Rahab's house of ill repute to cloak what their true intentions are. And when the authorities are hot on their heels, they hide up on the roof. That's a lie too. 
By hiding, they're saying they're not there. So they lie as spies. It's interesting to read the theologians in reference to Rahab. For some reason, they feel the need to clean her up a little. They want to say she had been a harlot, but wasn't any longer. She's just identified that way like Simon the leper. And they want to say she was running the local holiday inn, and therefore it was normal for people to show up at her place. But from what I can tell, historically, women in that culture did not run inns as a business. One other thing to consider in all this. What, pray tell, was God thinking by choosing such a tarnished person like Rahab to be in the line of the Messiah? She's a Gentile Canaanite harlot. I agree it makes sense to choose a Virgin Mary, but a Gentile Canaanite harlot? So for me, all this makes me just sort of smile, marvel, and think, what an awesome God I have. He uses a castaway person like Rahab to be the vehicle through which he will draw all the world to himself, her offspring, his son. It's mind-blowing. And all the while we sit here today almost holding our noses as we armchair quarterback what this harlot did to save the lives of the spies and all her house. What she did reminds me of the jailer that took Paul and Silas to his home and took care of them. I'm pretty sure they were very glad he chose to risk on their behalf, not to mention all his house. Acts 16, 31, and they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. We must not lose sight of the reality that true biblical Christianity is messy at times. It's made up of messy people that make a mess of things. Just read the first five books of the Bible. It would be almost funny if it wasn't so tragic. But... Aren't you glad God uses slightly less than perfect folks? We're like the items in the store that have little defects and so are labeled as seconds. God can and does use a Nicodemus, but he also uses a soiled Samaritan woman at the well in the very next chapter. It seems like Yeshua was very comfortable hanging with the upright as well as the publicans and sinners. If he hadn't been, he wouldn't have come all the way down to this earth, take on human flesh and die for such lowly worms as you and me. Perhaps instead of casting, a sanctif- perhaps instead of casting sanctified looks of theological scorn and disapproval at Rahab the harlot that lied and hid spies, we should thank God in his omniscience he didn't ask us what we thought he should do. Because if he had we'd still be lost and dead in our trespasses and sins without a Savior. Praise God, he uses sinners to save sinners. Oh, I forget, you're not a sinner like Rahab. Hmm, maybe not, but Yeshua still came to save sinners of which you are one. Perhaps we should thank God for Rahab the harlot that hid spies and lied. You know... It just makes me mad when I read our theologians that just kind of want to say, well, wait a minute, no, she wasn't really a harlot. She used to be, she's not anymore. It wasn't a a house of ill repute. And we clean her up. No, she was Rahab the harlot that for some reason, these men that needed a place to hide sought her place out and went there. And then she lies and hides and helps them escape. I'm so glad she did, right? And then she gets delivered and gets put into the lineage 
of Yeshua. You know, we forget that the lineage of Yeshua isn't a pure Jewish lineage. He's got Gentile in it. He's Gentile and Jew and whatever else. I don't know. Right? Am I going off topic too much here? So, I don't know. I just marvel at stuff like this. And it gives us hope that God can take our soiled lives, our mistakes, our backgrounds, if you come from such as that, and, and save us through the Lord Jesus Christ to make us a vessel fit and meet for the master's use. It's wonderful. All right, now, with all that, let's go to Joshua. I'm just trying to say, I don't know whose grandkid that is, but he sure is noisy. He's a man. He's a amening. Thank you. All right. So here we are in Joshua. Now, what I want to do is continue on this theme of God working in parallel with man, because that's what we see in chapter two. God in his omniscience worked in tandem with this woman to act on the behalf of the spies and she is saved and her family in the end and becomes a part of the lineage of Yeshua. What a, that's just, that is just so beautiful. I mean, I just, every time I read that, I marvel at it. Now, I'm not going to preach all of my message per se. I'll just give you the outlines. We'll hit some passages. But I want you to realize that God saved us so that he and you can work together to accomplish his will. He didn't save us so that we could be the Joel Olsteins of the world. He didn't save us so that everything is fine and wonderful and just great and come to Jesus. He'll fix everything and everything will be wonderful. He came to save sinners so that they would sign on the dotted line with their faith and say, I will take up my cross daily and follow you. Whatever that may or may not mean. So he saved us to work in tandem with his will for our lives. And God has a will and a plan for each one of our lives. It may not seem magnanimous. Rahab, I'm sure, did not sit there and think, wow, this is a cool thing I'm doing. Gosh, one of my, my, my offspring is going to become the savior of the world. You know, she's just living life from day to day. And that's the cool thing. We live life from day to day. Sometimes it's mundane. Sometimes it's like, God, what in the heck are you up to? But all we have to do is be faithful like Rahab to take a step of faith. Be faithful like Joshua to take a step of faith in obedience to do what God says. And we leave the rest with him, as Charles Stanley say. What's it? Well, how does he say that? Obey God and leave the consequences to him. Yeah. Something like that, right? Isn't that, isn't that, that's, that's wonderful. So all God wants us to do is obey him and leave the consequences to him. Now, we tend to think, oh, good, the consequences are going to be great. No, the consequences are not always going to be great, right? No. But if it's the will of God, the consequences are great. All right, now, here's where I want to go with this. God doesn't expect man to just sit and wait for him to do everything for them. In other words, Joshua knows, oh, sweet, God is going to come around. He's going to fight for us. He's going to defeat our enemies. Cool, God. Here, I'm going to sit on a chair. You tell me when you're done, we'll, then we'll go. It doesn't work that way. God doesn't expect man to just sit and wait for him to do everything for them. 
He's given us a brain. He's given us his word. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He says he'll help us, but he's not going to do everything for us. On the other side, God doesn't expect man to do everything on his own independent of him. So we just can't go taking off willy-nilly and do whatever the heck we want and ask God to stamp his, his blessing upon it either. It's working together to carry out his plan and his will for however he wants to use us for his glory. All right, now, we're going to see how that plays out in the first four chapters of Joshua. So here's my outline. I'm not going to preach it all because I've already got a ton and I don't even know how long I've been going already. Um, longer than I want to know. So we have the man Joshua. Two, the means, this whole scene of the first four chapters, the memorials of stone, the mess, the afterwards. <laughs> so we have the man Joshua, the means, the whole scene, the whole four chapters, the memorials of stone, and then the mess, the afterwards. Now, that sounds like we're going to be here forever. Uh, we're not. Now, I want to just kind of take us through this. These are fascinating chapters. I've just parked myself here, and I've been reading these first four chapters over and over. And it's just wonderful because you see how God has been leading his people to this point in time. And poor Josh, uh, Moses, who's done all that he knows to do, he screwed up at one time. God says, sorry, you can take a peek. You're not going there. And we usually feel sorry for Moses. I'm kind of thinking, man, it's pretty good, Moses, you got out before COVID hit, you know. So, yeah, it would have been great if he could have led them in. But on the other hand, he already told them what the rest of the story was going to be. Guys, after I'm dead and gone, you're in this land. I'm going to tell you this is exactly what you're going to do. How do I know? I've been with you for 40 years. You've got a pretty good track record. But God is leading you. Stay faithful. There's a remnant that will always be and follow God. All right, so we have Joshua. So I want us to read uh, verses 1, 1 through 10. And then just a few more, just to give us a little insight into the character of this man. So Joshua 1. Now, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spake unto Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' minister, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise, go over this Jordan, thou and all this people, unto the land which I do give to them, even to the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot shall tread upon that have I given unto you, as I said unto Moses, from the wilderness of this Lebanon, even unto the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and unto the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your coast. There shall not any man be able to stand before thee all the days of thy life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with thee. I will not fail thee, nor will I forsake thee. So be strong and of a good courage. For unto this people shalt thou divide for an inheritance the land, which I swear unto their fathers to give them. Only be thou strong and very courageous, that thou mayest observe to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded thee. Turn not from it to the right hand or to the left, that thou mayest prosper whithersoever thou goest. This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. For Jehovah thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. 
Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people. All right, and then just chapter 4 and verse 14. This is interesting. So, so I'm going to say this in my next part. But Josh, God chose this person that did all that he started, at least, what God wanted him to do. So then it says, uh, without going through all this, and I can't. Verse 14. On that day, the Lord magnified Joshua in the sight of all Israel, and they feared him as they feared Moses all the days of his life. So, so, so. I'm going to show this to you in, in, in just a second under the means. But there's a special vessel that God had in training under the leadership of Moses to, to do part two. And that's just how God works. In every successive generation, he is using people upon whose shoulders we build upon to continue doing the work of God. It's wonderful. That's why the scripture says, as your fathers did, as your fathers did, as your fathers did. We build upon that foundation that they laid before us. And so, like, you know, there's a good wise master building that puts the foundation and then you build upon that. And so the foundation's laid and you build a place. And if you have workers, everybody's doing something, playing a part in this independent role of making one unified object. And so we're building upon what has come before us. So, the man, Joshua. God often picks a man and or leaders to accomplish his objectives. Examples, Moses, Joshua. The elders of the people. The leaders of a tribe. One from every tribe, it says, like in Deuteronomy. The high priest. The apostles. Paul. It's just interesting. God often picks a man or leaders to accomplish his objectives. And so we have Joshua the man. And he, and he fulfilled his role in such a way that they feared him. Now, we always want to change that into respect or something like that. And, it, and I think the word may have a dual aspect. But I don't want us to lose this aspect of fearing. Fearing God. Fearing those like uh, the prophets of old. The people didn't listen to them because they had no respect, reverence, fear, awe of the fact that they were chosen by God to give this message that nobody wanted to hear. So God uses leaders. He raises up a man and women, uh, man, men and women. All right, now, point two, the means, as relates to the whole events of chapter four. And, and, and I'm just going to give this to you. So the means is preparation. So, because I, I, I have to always alliterate. So you have, in this case, the man. He's the leadership, Joshua, the whole thing. But built into this is the means. The means is preparation. So I noticed as I was reading through these chapters, this word prepare kept coming up. And I thought, well, that's interesting because God said, I'm going to take care of everything, but there's some preparation that has to be taken care of. That has to work in parallel with how I'm going to get you to where I said I'm going to get you so that you can acquire what I want you to acquire. So there's preparation. So Joshua is prepared by Moses. Verse 1, we find out that he was Moses' minister. And then verse 7, it says, uh, which Moses, my servant, commanded thee. So Joshua was prepared ahead of time by Moses. 
by following his example, listening to him, being instructed by him, observing him, spending time close to God with him, you know, hanging out at the tabernacle. I mean, golly, he, 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 he was prepared for this by Moses. Um, Moses' minister. They had spent much time together through which they had built a bond of trust. They had spent much time together, much time together and built a bond of trust. And we have to pass this down. I'm going to kind of close with this. But we as fathers have the same responsibility to spend time with our kids building a bond so that they will do the work of God. There's no substitute for this. It's incumbent upon the fathers as the heads of the house, as the spiritual leaders. And, and my kids are old and grown, so they can tell you I didn't, you know, I failed in this. It's just like every parent does. But it, somehow, we are the Moses to our Joshua's as fathers. Oh, I'm going to give you the conclusion before I get there, but in case I forget. Dads, listen. Our, our, our primary objective is to pass spiritual truth on to our kids, what the Word of God says. We can't leave it to the wives to do that. We have to know enough of the Word of God so that we can talk intelligently about them as we'll see they had to later on. Okay, I'm going to preach everything at one point. So anyway, Joshua was prepared. All right, we, we won't look at this. In chapter 1, the second thing that was prepared was food. Which is just, you know, it makes sense, right? That there has to be food that is prepared. Again, the word prepared is used. Chapter 2, it doesn't use the word prepared about Rahab, but we can see that God had evidently been working in her heart because she already know, knew the name Yehovah, had enough history of saying, wow, this, this, these people are wiping out everything under the authority of this Yehovah. Man, I'm a mess. Those people were a mess. Gosh, if, I, if I'm smart, I think I will see what I can do to make sure that doesn't happen to me. So it seemed like God was preparing her heart, perhaps. Then in chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, you have 12 men that are being prepared. And then when you hit chapter 4, 12 through 13, about 4,000 people were prepared for the war. Those on, on the West Bank that were supposed to come over and help fight as they go take the land. Was it the Reubenites and the other and the half tribe of, of what, uh, Ephraim or whatever it was? I'm, I'm messing it up. So there was a whole lot of preparation here. And I find that encouraging. You know, th there's a strand in what I came up in, fundamental independent baptism, which at times almost shuns the fact that, no, you don't need training. You don't need to go to college. You have the Holy Spirit residing within you. It'll give you everything that you need. Now, I don't want to diminish, diminish that because he can. And he does. And he has. And if you ever read my first blog that I did, which isn't much to brag about, anymore, but the fact of Mrs. Inez Milford. She had no training, hadn't gone off to Bible college. Here I'm coming to visit this woman, going to this prestigious Christian college. I graduated and I graduated. I even had a year of Greek, and I'm going to just encourage her from the Word of God. Nope. It's the other way around. This woman with a big giant print, you've heard me say that King James Bible, <sighs> exuded the Spirit of the living God. Because she spent time in that book and it showed. So she didn't have, she didn't go to the prestigious college that I did, but she had something that I didn't have because I didn't realize it's not all necessary about knowledge and you don't even have to have that knowledge. You don't even have to read Greek for crying out loud. 
to have what she had. Ah, oh, it's amazing. So, but anyway, preparation is involved. So all these things are involved. Now, I'm not saying dismiss preparation. And, I, and I'm not saying you don't need preparation. I'm saying you do need preparation. If you can't go to a Bible college, the God knows that. That's part of the plan for you. Just read his word. Read it in English. Read it, please. Hudson Taylor, we were talking about him going to China. I don't know. He probably, I don't know if he knew Hebrew or Greek. I, I can't remember. But, you know, he just had the word of God, went over and changed a continent for God. George Mueller, again, my hero. I don't know that he knew Hebrew or Greek. All he did was read his Bible every morning with God. Changed the lives of so many people. You know, I don't know. You get where I'm going. Preparation. All right, now, so then we come to the memorials. And so they're memorials of stone. So these 12 prepared people are going to have a task. They're supposed to get 12 stones and take them out from where the, the priests are sitting, carry them over to the other side and set up this memorial. Um, and then afterwards, they're supposed to then set up a memorial in the middle of the Jordan. And so you have this one memorial on the other side that they're going to build. Then they have this memorial of stones they're going to put in, in, in the middle of the river. And I've, I often wondered about that. But then, then it said, well, what, what will happen is when the river gets low, because if you remember the story, the banks were overflowing right this time because it was a time of year when the banks were overflowing. The river was flowing high. So they're going to put these stones in the river. And I'm thinking, what the heck, why do this? But the river's going to go down. And in the middle of this river is going to be at least a pinnacle of this, this monument that is going to be still there. So you're going to have the monument in the river. You're going to have the uh, um, mo monument over in Gilgal on the western side. And so you, then you're going to have those two and a half tribes on the eastern side. You're going to have the rest on the western side. And they're going to say, hey, after a while there's fear Hey, we want to come over. No, you live over there. No. Or, you know, so, so what's going to connect them? See that thing in the middle of the river? We did that. We did that. That means we're together on this. And as a matter of fact, that one that's there, there's that one there. And so God prepared these people to put up this memorial that's going to resonate for generations to come as to what God did by taking his people from that land making the river dry just like he did with the exodus and taking them all over and here they are in the land so they're supposed to set up more well why the memorials well we won't read the verses but it's interesting it says so that so why why are we building this these memorials because when your sons ask you in time to come well, what the, what's up with these stones dad you can tell them. So, why the memorials? They are set up in order to pique the interest of future generations of children to ask their fathers. Hey, Dad, why these stones? Dad, why, why Shabbat? Dad, why do you read that book? Dad, why? 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 
No, I love that because I'm a why. I, I just have to ask questions. Anybody knows me, it's like, I, not because I'm questioning, I just need answers. I want answers because if I don't have answers, I, I, can't, I can't proceed. And so I was always that kid in class or at the job where, oh, I got a question, question please. And I learned to not be embarrassed because everybody else pretty much gets it and there's always a snicker because I'm asking, but I don't care anymore because if I'm gonna do whatever I need to do, I need to know the why. And there's nothing wrong with knowing the why. God doesn't always give us the why in his word, but dads, we're supposed to know some whys. You know, <laughs> you won't always have the answers. But anyway, so why? Well, fathers are to know enough to be able to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, as it says in 1 Peter 3.15. <sighs> I wonder if we've kind of forgotten our memorial stones. You know, I'm amazed that hardly anymore knows the name, Christians know the names of Hudson Taylor, George Mueller, Adoniram Judson, um, Moody, who's the guy that wrote that book? John Patton. We don't know these names anymore. These are, these, these are our, our, our pillars. We're supposed to go back to these people. You know, I know we're Messianic, we're Hebraic, and those guys weren't. I get it. But I'm telling you, we'll, I don't know if we'll ever see a Messianic guy that will rival the likes of a Spurgeon or a Moody. And we won't if we don't know who these guys are. You know, my kids at least know a smattering of who these people are. The average Christian now doesn't have any clue as to these people who went out and changed continents. I mean, one lived in, in uh, New England. Um, sinners in the hands of an angry God. I can't think of his name right now. Yeah, Jonathan Edwards. Duh. You know? Our pillars. Our stones. And you know what, Dad? You're building a pillar and a monument right now for your kids to look back to. They need to be able to look back to dad and say, that's how dad did it. Dad served God. He wasn't perfect. But you know what? He gave me a platform. And he, I look back to dad. You know, you, if you, I didn't have saved parents. I did not have saved grandparents. I didn't have any saved male family relative figure at all all in my life to look back to. That's why to me, man, me getting saved out of what I got saved out of, wow, it's a game changer. And that stream's gonna take a different bend right now because that's why God saved me. I don't know what that means, what it's gonna look like, but I have to be a memorial to my kids, my grandkids and great grandkids if Jesus tarries. Dad, you're a memorial in the floodwaters of this wicked world. What kind of memorial are you building? Now, I think it's informative. We're told the children are to ask before being told. Now, I, I'm not adamant on that, but it appears in the two times where it's mentioned. So that when your children ask you, Father, I think it's interesting 
I'm not saying we shouldn't instruct, but I think it's interesting. There's such a relationship going on there, and, and they've been allowed to mull this over for a while. They've seen it in action. You know, this, 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 the, 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 the um, ramifications of this memorial being set up is being lived out now. And they come to like 13, 12, I don't know what age, where they can actually start thinking and you can't just smack them around anymore and they do what they say. Now they start saying, nope, ain't gonna, why should I? Get over here and do that. Mm, okay, I'll get there when I feel like, you know, they hit that age. Well, at that age, when you're starting to think things and you could possibly lose them, though you don't think you possibly can right now because you have them under your control and they do everything you want because they have to. There will come a time they won't have to listen. Hopefully you have piqued their interest enough to even if they stray, they will remember what they learned from daddy and mom. I'm not minimizing mom. Your family, our family tell you, the underpinnings of everything is, is Judy. It's, it's, without her, we have no foundation. So I'm not minimizing the, the mother's role at all. Uh, but I think we've, as men, have easily abdicated that role of spiritual leadership at times over to the wife. Can't do that, guys. So the kids need to ask. And dad, you had, need to have a relationship with your kids at least so that they're not afraid to talk to you. All right, where the heck am I here? All right, so, oh, okay, so here we go. We're done, almost done. So we have the man Joshua, the means, preparation, the memorials, lives that are building something that lasts. And then, as Moses said, you have the mess. So things are looking good. Now they're going to take the next town. They've already been told, don't take anything. It's all Corbin, given over to God, dedicated to him. If you do, if anybody does, the whole congregation will be guilty. He tells them this ahead of time. Well, there's always one person like myself that says, gosh, nobody's going to notice. And the confusion of this, if you've never seen like the Battle of Jericho, portrayed on that BC battle thing on, on YouTube, Battles BC. Wow, just, anyway. So there's just, I won't even get into that, but the chaos, which I don't know from firsthand experience, but the chaos and the confusion and the mayhem in battle and all this thing of blood flowing everywhere and everybody's attention is everywhere else. Um, there's always that one, one person that kind of wants to disobey. And so there's this one guy that says, you know what, golly, just this one little thing Nobody's going to notice. I can take it and hide it. I'll get away, I'll get away with it. No. Nope. Be sure your sin will find you out. God sees. You know, don't you kind of hate that? You know, we, we're pretty good, I'll speak for myself, hiding our sins. You know, sweeping our dirt under the carpet. Ah. And everybody can kind of think, well, wow, he cleans up pretty good on the outside. You know, God knows, God knows, he knows. And we can't forget that. And so what happens, there's a mess. One person does something, uh, takes what they're not supposed to take, they go up to take the next town and people are killed. People are killed. It's a mess. You mean that one thing, that one time yeah, sometimes. Well, stop there. So God decides to use us. It's a precarious path he puts us on. 
It's full of pitfalls and, 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 and danger and, and the adversaries on our every side, the human and the spiritual. It's a warfare. It's not a nice hike up Mount Washington. It's a spiritual battle. It's a warfare. But if we'll be engaged in the battle, as Lester Olaf used to sing, and when the battle's over, we shall wear a crown. Sing it. We shall wear a crown, we shall wear a crown. And when the battle's over, we shall wear a crown in the new Jerusalem. Wear a crown, wear a crown, a bright and shining crown. And when the battle's over, we shall wear a crown in the new Jerusalem. Lester Roloff knew about the battle, ended up in jail twice in the state of Texas because all those years he ran his home without a license, got a new governor and said, sorry, everything has to be licensed. He said, no way. Just listening to him, he was at Jerry Falwell's back years and years ago after he'd been out of prison. He said, yep, they come to the school, uh, to the children's home. I said, you got to hear me. He said, I have two words for him. And he talks about how when uh, who was a Hezekiah was in, 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 in the temple and they weren't supposed to be there, the king and the priest come in and what did he say? Get out! He said, that's what I said to them. Two words, get out. He knew what the battle was, went to prison twice to rescue boys and girls for Christ. It's a battle, folks. But God will be with us. And he promises to work in parallel with us. He wants us to do our part, but he's going to undergird us. And thank God he does. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the example of Joshua, for the example of Rahab, those that, that build the memorials, those that have carried on the message. Thank you for Moses. Father, thank you that we are privileged to be in the, in the, in the stream of flow from all these people that have come before us. May we not disappoint them, Father. May we not fail them. May we not let their mem memory fade from the landscape in which we live now. Help us to stand upon their shoulders and, and do what you have for us to do and fight the battles that you have for us. Offer the glory of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, mighty warriors arise.